Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rachel Madel. How's it going, Rachel? It's good. Chris, guess what? What? I just updated all of my technology. In what way? What do you mean? Like everything I could have updated, I did. I got a new iPhone. I got a new iPad. I got a new i or I got a new Apple Pencil, which I'm really excited about. I spent a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so, what kind of stuff have you been discovering? What, what's uh, what's new? Well, I'm really excited about the new iPhone because one, the camera's amazing. And I feel like I look at it and I'm like, wow, I've never looked better. Um, <laughs> this is not a, re a reflection of what I look like in real life. Um, and then the other amazing thing is that it has facial recognition. So I don't have to put my passwords in because it knows my face. And it's not just getting into my phone. It's also the apps that I'm using. So you know when you get a new phone, you have to constantly sign into all the apps that you have. It's been amazing because it just like, it somehow knows my face is looking at the screen and then it just pops into my password and I don't even know how it does it, but it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have that face ID as well. And it's a little bit like, it freaks me out a little bit like, oh, okay. But then I accept it. I'm like, yeah, okay. It knows who I am. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I have a special bond now with my phone. It's like, oh, hey, Rachel, we see you. <laughs> you mentioned the Apple Pencil. So do you use that? I mean, have you been using that on your iPad? How do you use that? Yes, I actually... Well, I haven't used it yet, but the reason I know about it is one of my clinicians, Lauren, has, she's so tech savvy. She's way more tech savvy than me, which is why I hired her. Um, but she's had the Apple Pencil for a long time. So when I go and supervise her, I'm always really excited to use it. And the way that I use it is there's a lot of really great resources on Teachers Pay Teachers and um, even workbooks. And so what I'll do is I'll have a digital copy of it. I'll import it into Notability, which is an app to take notes. And then what I'll do is I will write all over it. I use it like a whiteboard. I use it to help kids fill in blanks if we're working on something like, you know, a regular past tense. Um, it's super, super helpful because I don't have to carry all the stuff around. I kind of hate like printing things out now. It just feels like I print them out and then I lose them or I don't know. It's just like a whole process. And so now in the moment, I'm like, oh, this, I have this specific, you know, worksheet or visual that's going to help this student. And so I'll just pull it up on my, my iPad and hit the ground running. Isn't it so freeing about, oh, maybe five years ago, I went paperless and I just challenged myself to never use paper. Um, my kids get on me a little bit about it. And Melissa gets on me when I'm like, when they come home and they have piles of paper, I'm like, well, if your teachers had gone paperless, you know, and, and not that paper's the enemy, because sometimes you do need it like it to, for foldables or something like that to help you remember. And for some kids, they really enjoy paper and like to have it. But what you're marrying is your handwriting with the technology so that you can do both together. You know, it's not a fight of one or the other. You know, some people like to type and some people like to handwrite. Well, you can handwrite using the Apple Pencil. And have you ever used an Apple Pencil, Chris? No, not exactly. No, not it, just more to play with it. You know, it is fun. The reason I love it the most, one, it feels like an actual pencil. The other thing that I love about it is that you can rest your hand on the screen and it doesn't affect its ability to write. So if you're used to using a stylus, if your hand accidentally touches the screen, your stylus won't work anymore. And so that's the difference between the stylus and the Apple Pencil is that I can put my hand right on the screen and I can just write normally like I would on a piece of paper 
It's just so fun. I'm like so excited to do therapy this week. I can't wait to hear how it goes. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to go great. I can't wait. So tell me about the interview today. So Alyssa Hillary Zisk came on the podcast for the second time. They contacted me about a new paper that was written called Am I the Curriculum? So Alyssa is a student in an AAC course and also is a part-time AAC user. So if you guys haven't listened to that episode, I would recommend going back and listening to get Alyssa's background. And they talk all about AAC, part-time AAC use, which is fascinating in and of itself. The new paper is all about their experience with AAC being in an AAC course. I think Alyssa is the first person that we're having back like as a second interview, right? I mean, we've had people to come back on with uh, the small talk episodes and, um, you know, people have been sort of returning guests, but this is the first like second full interview. Is that yeah. right? It is. And it's a good one. They never cease to amaze me with just the, the, the information. It's so informative to our practice to be able to talk to adult AAC users. And even more importantly, this notion of part-time AAC use. I love the idea that there's an adult with autism who talks about the experience of sometimes needing AAC, sometimes having verbal speech and sometimes needing AAC, because how often do we see clients in our practice who have some verbal speech, but need to augment that verbal speech sometimes? So I think it's really fascinating. We also talk about people first language and Alyssa talks about how they don't like it. They don't like people first language, which the first time that I heard that I thought, oh my gosh, really? Because everything we're taught is people first, people first, people first. And I think I even just said like, you know, adults with autism. I'm just so conditioned to say that. And Alyssa talks about autistic adults. That's what they prefer. Anyway, it's just, it's an interesting interview. I'm really excited uh, to have Alyssa back on the podcast. You know, when I reflect back on that particular episode, there are certain things that stick out in my mind. And one of them was the idea that we walked away with is that we're all users of AAC you know, and that uh, we're all part-time users or, you know, some people who just use it more frequently than others. But if we kind of wrapped our brains around the notion that, that we all have uh, alternatives besides using the words coming out of our mouth, our articulators, um, then it wouldn't be such a stigmatism to have to use AAC, you know, because you just wrap your brain around the fact that we all use it. The other thing people should know about Alyssa is that they use Twitter quite frequently. And I know that's one place that I follow Alyssa. Um, I believe Alyssa and another part-time AAC user just did a tea chat and um, were the moderators for that uh, so that people could ask questions and they could provide their experiences, you know? And I find that is so meaningful for me personally. And it's something I've been advocating to all the teachers I talk to all the professionals I talk to is spend time with adult AAC users, learn what their perspectives are, and not just AAC users, but whatever disability that you are working with, what do the adults say worked for them? You know, that is a huge part of evidence-based practice. 
Absolutely. So if you guys haven't already joined our Facebook group, there's amazing conversations going on in there. Uh, Alyssa is part of our Facebook group. Um, so please search Talking With Tech, join our group. If you guys like this podcast, we would love to read a review of yours. Chris and I love going to iTunes and seeing new reviews. So if this podcast is something that you listen to and you're a diehard fan of ours and you haven't written a review, please, please, please go to iTunes and write us a review because it helps people find the podcast. So without further ado, here's my interview with Alyssa Hillary Zisk. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined today by Alyssa Hillary Zisk. Alyssa, we're having you back on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I am so good. I'm excited that you are on today to talk with us all about your new research that's coming out, or I guess it already came out, right? It's out. It came out actually on Yom Kippur, which, no, I don't remember what day that is, but it was Yom Kippur. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, So what's, what's new? What's going on with the new research? What's new since we last chatted with you? I guess it was... All right. Like six months ago, right? At least. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I was last on shortly after my paper, AAC for Speaking Autistic Adults, came out. And now the newest paper is called Am I the Curriculum? It's in the journal Curriculum Inquiry. They did a special issue on disability as metacurriculum. When... What I submitted to that was essentially a personal reflection mixed with proper citations about here is how and why being a part-time AAC user, taking an AAC course and doing AAC research is systemically awkward. So before we continue, because I just, I, I can't wait to deep dive with you. We need to remind our audience, there could be listeners who did not listen to the original episode we had with you, so I would definitely recommend going back and listening to that episode because it's one of my favorites. Alyssa is a part-time AAC user. So, Alyssa, can you just dive into a little bit of what that means for listeners who are like, part-time AAC user, but they're talking? Okay, so I am talking at the moment, I'm actually uncertain if it's going to last the episode of I can feel speech wobbling on me. But the main thing behind part-time AAC user is that for many people who require AAC, our ability to speak may vary over time or between situations. Not exactly the same thing as selective mutism, though that can happen too. Yeah. If I find myself not able to speak, I will switch over to AAC. If I find that while I can technically make words happen, it's very slow, it's very awkward, it's not necessarily the words I was trying to come up with, I will again revert to an alternative communication method. And this awkwardness of how do you classify part-time AAC use actually comes up in the paper. So this is going to be fun. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. Okay, so let's dive into the paper because I know that's what 
you sent to me and I'm really excited to talk through it. Um, what's the crux of the paper? I know you bring in a fantastic perspective to it because you have such a unique experience. So I'm really excited to hear your take on what this paper is all about. All right. So the one sentence version is being an AAC user, doing AAC research and taking an AAC class is systemically awkward. The reason I say systemically is, no, it was not my professor's fault that this was awkward. She would not have been able to make it not be awkward. Um, she actually tried and was pretty good at it, but it's not possible. <laughs> um, because we think about augmentative and alternative communication in a lot of ways as being, there's a lot of false binaries in there. We talk about when they're being inclusive, Asha describes AAC as all the ways we share our ideas and feelings without talking and says that everyone uses it. Remember my billboard if you listened to me last time? AAC for everyone, no really, do it for real. That was one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm repeating it for this time. That's gonna be my billboard again. So, but, when we're talking about augmentative and alternative communication, we don't really talk about it in that it's something everyone does. It's speech that not everyone uses, but everyone uses AAC way. If we did talk about it that way, everyone, we would consider everyone a part-time AAC user. Right. Instead of not really being sure what that means. And just to clarify, are you in favor of that or not? How, what are your thoughts on that? I have mixed feelings. On one hand, I think that it is useful to talk about the distinction between people who use AAC part-time because we need it for disability-related reasons and people who use AAC part-time because Literally everyone uses AAC when we're defining it inclusively. Mm -hmm. However, I am not attached to part-time AAC user as the term used to make this distinction. And if having to find another term is the price of recognizing that everyone uses AAC, I will happily pay that price, that's fine. And I think what it also does is it just, we all like to be able to relate to something, right? Yeah. So we're learning things or we're trying to understand things that maybe we don't understand. I think it's important to attach it to something that we can relate to. So I yeah. think what this does is it allows everyone to be kind of on an equal playing field, right? It's not like AAC users over here, everybody else over here. You know, we're using augmentative ways to communicate throughout our days, everybody is. Um, and so I definitely, I kind of feel similar to you. I feel like on one hand, it's a really good thing. On another hand, I can understand how maybe it's not such a good thing um, because then we, 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 we risk everybody thinking, oh, I know exactly what, you know, they go through. And that's, no, that's, yeah, no, there's definitely a difference in experience that are based on their idea of our speaking abilities. There's definitely 
a tendency to speak around someone if they're the only person in the room currently using an alternative to speech. I mean, that would be true regardless of the reason, but it's something that you can't escape if you need AAC for a disability reason, whereas other people may have ways around that, those issues. Right, they have more flexibility and freedom in the types of communication that they are using. Yeah, that, that I think makes sense. But um, where I was at some point going with that is, well, one example I gave in the paper was when someone we think of as using AAC texts, that's definitely still AAC. That was in, I think, ASHA perspectives on augmentative and alternative communication as being AAC. Mm -hmm. I can sometimes talk. Is it still AAC if I can't talk right this minute? Is it still AAC if I'm using it because speech, while technically possible, is currently hard for me? Is it AAC if, even though I can talk, I can be more precise in text? Mm -hmm. Where is the line? It's not actually, I don't think it's a binary yes or no, unless we're going into the, no, it's everything. <laughs> all of the things are AAC. Mm -hmm. One of my biggest questions for you is, what are the ways that your experience can help inform our clinicians who are listening, help inform their practice? And I can give you an example of what I have utilized in my practice as kind of a jumping off point. I was really excited when you decided to come on the podcast and I oftentimes use you as an example for families who are very hesitant because their child has verbal speech. Uh, as clinicians, we know just because a, a, a child has words doesn't mean they can always access those words. It doesn't mean that that's their preferred method of communication. And so sometimes the buy-in is really hard for parents because they have words. And so parents want children to use words instead of AAC. So, so anyway, I, I use you as an example because we know that it's not, it's the access issue, right? And it's the, it's the preference. I think that we need to empower individuals to use whatever method of communication they find most beneficial in that moment. And who are we to decide what that is? And so as a practitioner, when I'm working with children, obviously there's a parent that's involved that I need to talk with and collaborate with, but it's really important to educate parents that, especially if words don't come easily, which many of the clients that I work with, their, ver their verbal speech does not come easy. Um, when I introduce AAC, that's when their language skills really take off. Um, so what would you say to those parents who are hesitant to think that AAC might detract from verbal speech or AAC doesn't make sense for their child because they're speaking verbally. How tactful am I being in this conversation? Listen, just, I, I'm, we can throw tact out the window, Alyssa. <laughs> okay. Um, my first question, when they're concerned about teeth over language is, why is this the thing you're scared of? If speech is that hard for them, 
you should be glad they're ditching it in favor of something more efficient. I love it. Assume that you were actually talking to a parent. Would you say that? I'm just curious. It depends on how much they'd annoyed me by this point. <laughs> um, the other thing that I would probably do, honestly, whether or not speech was giving out on me, switch over to typing and see how pissed off at me they get. <laughs> <laughs> and, tell, and if they take me, I'll tell them to give their kid the same respect. <laughs> I actually think that probably would be the most powerful, right? Because demonstrate part-time AAC use as you're defending the argument for it. <laughs> neener, neener. When I was at the American Educational Studies Association conference where I presented this paper, Am I the Curriculum? Mm -hmm. I made sure that the conference folks were set up so that if I needed AAC, it'd be fine. Mm -hmm. But I was the first paper of the day at like 8.30 a.m. I did still lead in with a demonstration of how my AAC worked just because it was a piece about AAC. I thought they needed to see it. Totally. And just curious, what is your system? Your, I know you had mentioned on our last podcast that you do a lot you sometimes will write you sometimes will type do you have a specific uh, system of choice that you're utilizing some dedicated applications i don't have a dedicated device because i'm a grad student you think i'm for that when i don't strictly need to but i do have some dedicated applications mm -hmm. i use eSpeak on my laptop, that's a fairly basic text-to-speech. What I like about it is that it's free, open source, and will do Mandarin Chinese. Are you multilingual? Of course you are. <laughs> I thought originally. <laughs> um, Flipwriter I use on my iPad and iPhone, as well as Proloquo for text. Okay. And then, while OpenOffice obviously gets used for other purposes, I'll frequently project my screen, open up OpenOffice, make the font real big, and start typing to the room. Mm -hmm. I think that typical speakers actually do something fairly similar when they're deciding when to text, when to call, when to email, when to meet up face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. as I do choosing between my various communication options. Mm -hmm. I just need more non-speech options and a greater variety of non-speech options because speech is less reliable for me. Mm -hmm. And I therefore need face-to-face non-speech options. Right. That makes sense. So let's deep dive a little bit into the paper. Uh, I loved reading it, and I would love to hear kind of in your own words. Firstly, what motivated the writing of it? I think that's an important piece of this. There are a few factors that motivated the writing of it. 
One factor is I saw the call for papers and went, hey, guest editors, would an explanation reflection of how this was awkward fit the call? And they said yes. So I did it. <laughs> Another piece was that as I was working on my project, for my augmentative and alternative communication class. Mm -hmm. The paper that we talked about last time I was on here was actually my class project. Okay. I had a lot of things that I was thinking about that students and researchers who don't themselves need AAC would not need to think about. That other paper was built on the experiences of autistic adults who either are or were at the time considered to have functional speech but use augmentative and alternative communication. Mm -hmm. If I wasn't an autistic person who can talk and uses AAC part-time, the question of whether or not I include my own experiences would be irrelevant. Right. I wouldn't have any relevant experiences to include. Mm -hmm. If I weren't an autistic AAC user, I wouldn't need to wonder if I should write we or they about autistic AAC users in my paper. Mm -hmm. I went with they, which is not the option I went with when I was writing about queer autistic people, mm -hmm. because my goals and my target audiences were different, essentially. When I wrote about queer autistic people, I was speaking to other disabled people primarily. Mm -hmm. When I was writing about AAC for speaking autistic adults, it was a big target audience. One, any autistic adults who could benefit from AAC, um, they're probably not going to care super duper much which pronoun I use, we or they, but clinicians and researchers tend to put things by AAC users into the box of this is a personal perspective as opposed to this is an actual piece of research mm -hmm. that is effectively a literature review um, in that case. And in order to at least increase the probability that it would be treated as the research that it is, mm -hmm. I took that little bit of distance. Right. Are there any other roadblocks as you were both creating this paper and also just generally in your experience trying to push the ball forward in research in this area? Um, what are some other roadblocks you encountered similar to this one you just spoke on? One piece is actually language. Um, the journal Augmentative and Alternative Communication has an editorial policy 
of requiring person-first language. That is, I would need to write people with autism mm -hmm. who use AAC, not speaking autistic AAC users. Okay. While most of the people whose work I was referencing probably wouldn't have cared that much about people who use AAC versus AAC users, most of them would be very displeased if I wrote, if I called them people with autism instead of autistic people. I would similarly be very displeased if I were, were required to refer to myself that way. Language is political, and there are reasons that autistic people tend to prefer identity-first language. While having that discussion with the journal might have been possible, I don't want to deal with it. So I submitted to a brand new journal that had a language policy of, we encourage identity-first language, but we can make exceptions to people who prefer to be referred to with first. Hmm. So that's really interesting to me. Um, I've never, I, I mean, I've heard of, of course, people first language, um, but I've actually never spoke with anyone who doesn't like people first language. So you like I um, I forgot to tell you ahead of time and you called me a person with autism and I was like, no. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, it's, you're jogging my memory now. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, default how you want, but... <laughs> But you're talking about specifically me. Yeah. No. Now, let me ask you this, then. Is, is that something that you appreciate being asked? About language preferences? Yes. yes. Um, being asked is good. Okay. There's something like a third-person bio that I've written. You can frequently get cues from that of how I refer to myself. And following that is also a perfectly acceptable option. Mm. But if that's not available, or if you're thinking about language on something that's not in the bio, mm -hmm. ask. Asking is great. Okay. That's good Sometimes to know. Sometimes the answer may be, I don't care. Sometimes the answer will be, it is this. Right. And I think that's something that's really important to, to dive into a little bit, because of course, we want people to feel comfortable. We want people to be addressed with pronouns that they prefer and labels, you know, autistic or person with autism. These are all things that, you know, just take an easy question, right? How do you yeah. prefer to be categorized or what language do you prefer that I use? So it's um, yeah. really important, I think. Um, when it is relevant to mention that I'm autistic, mm -hmm. what language do I prefer? Because mm -hmm. the I use my name statement, I mean, that's true. In the chemistry classroom, I use my name. Right. But sometimes it's relevant to mention that I'm autistic and mm -hmm. what language do I use then? Right. Give me an example of when you would choose not to you know, categorize yourself as autistic or not share that information? There are scenarios? Um, there are very few situations in which I will specifically avoid mentioning it. 
But there are a lot of scenarios where it's not necessarily going to come up. Um, I generally have not told my students that I'm autistic unless and until I actually need AAC in their class. Mm -hmm. So they get to find out, surprise! (laughs) Um, Because I'm not teaching anything disability related. I'm teaching math, or I'm teaching chemistry, or I'm teaching digital circuits. Mm -hmm. When the heck is it gonna come up? That's true. (laughs) Yeah, it's more of a, it's not going to come up than a, I would choose not to disclose. Right. Do you have any friends that avoid disclosing, I guess, would be, you know, I don't know what the right verb is, but, Anybody who you know who doesn't, you know, keeps that diagnosis to themselves. I don't know many people who will never mention it, Mm -hmm. but I definitely know people who aren't public about it. I I don't have a lot of interactions with autistic adults. Right. So Um, a lot of children, and I just think it's so fascinating to me to talk to you. And I really, again, I think it informs our practice with children and how we, you know, educate parents. And so I'm really just, I'm just curious, Alyssa. <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely know people who choose not to disclose. And um, I don't know if you'd seen the thing about parents were behind this, just to be clear. The idea of denoting an autism diagnosis on a driver's license in New York State. Hmm. Parents think that this would help in interactions with police. Okay. The autistic adults I have interacted with are going, oh, God, no, I want nothing to do with this mm-hmm. because it being on the driver's license takes away our choice of when and whether to disclose. It's going to out us to people who we may not consider, who we might not have chosen to disclose to. Mm -hmm. Let's say that I'm buying a beer. I don't actually drink, but I could legally buy a beer. (laughs) Do I want the store clerk to lecture me about how autistic people shouldn't be drinking because we're actually children? I really don't. I especially don't want to deal with that because I'm not even the one drinking here, but they would be just as wrong if I were. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced that? About drinking? Not specifically, but I did have an experience where people tried to kick me off a study abroad program over it. Wow. Um, the administrators at Tianjin Normal University heard that I was autistic and was like, people like that shouldn't be in college. Ooh. Yeah, I, I was displeased. So mad. <laughs> I have like a, a mad knot in my stomach right now hearing. It. Yeah, and when I wound up needing to type in my language classes a couple times, the administrators didn't like that either. The teachers were able to figure it out fairly quickly and seemed okay. Administration was not pleased. Well, I think you bring up a really good point. It should be your decision when you decide to disclose that. Yeah. And I I can see, I mean, at some level I understand because part of the problem here is that autism is such 
a huge spectrum, right? And of course, we know in the news of individuals who have autism who are talking with police and there's miscommunications. And I think that's probably where that stems from. But I do But who says them knowing would fix it? I don't think it would. I think that police officers would see that diagnosis and take it as a license of no one's actually going to care what they do to us. Mm. Well, I think that these are all really relevant things. <laughs> to Sorry, bit dark. No, I mean, it's, it's kind of the reality, right? And yeah. I can listen to you, but I've never walked a day in your shoes. And so I just think it's really valuable to hear about your experience because I've never, I haven't thought about these things, really. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating to me to think about them. And I just, I'm really grateful that you are on and you are so comfortable sharing your experience because I know that's hard for a lot of people, you know, people with autism and otherwise, you know, sometimes people, they're like, come on the podcast. No way. Like, I don't want to talk in in front of that many people. So I just appreciate it. And I know that our listeners appreciate it too. Thank you. So before we we wrap up, I want to ask what, because in the abstract of your paper, it talks about the benefits that the speech language pathologist in your class and your teacher have experienced having you um, as a first person narrative in a lot of ways about AAC. So are there any, you know, takeaways that either your teacher or your clinicians in your classroom have told you? What are some gems that maybe we can share with our audience of things that people maybe didn't think about or have learned from your experience? Well, I would catch on to things like in one of the first videos they had us watch, the presenter said that there were no behavioral prerequisites for AAC and gave as an example that sometimes we could be working on the floor or under a table. I think one of the things that my classmates learned was, here, this is the story of someone who actually still hangs out under tables. Like, my lab mates know which table to look for me under. I'm a grad student. You really have bigger fish to fry than something that I can get away with as a grad student. (laughs) What a great insight. Honestly, it's like, I feel like choose your battles, right? And I think that maybe that's probably one of them, right? Yeah, like choose your battles. Um, If it's something that I can get away with as a grad student, It's probably not a battle you need to have with a kindergartner. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) Um, Things like... Honestly, while the paper that I wrote for Autism and Adulthood about AAC for Speaking Autistic Adults, while it's not my personal experiences, I don't think it's a question that I would have thought to ask without my personal experiences. Right. So it was kind of the stimulus. Yeah. Like, I don't think I would have thought to ask that question Mm -hmm. if I hadn't been looking at AAC options for myself. Mm -hmm. Why would I have looked? Were you self-taught? 
what my AAC is? Yeah. Yes. Um, I did find out about a couple useful things, like useful to me things. I learned lots of useful stuff just about in my AAC class. Most of it did not apply to me, but I turned like, tons of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But I did get a couple pieces in my AAC class that turned out to be useful to me. Mm-hmm. So that's those pieces I would consider somewhere in between on self-taught versus mm-hmm. otherwise. But most of it is self-taught. And then there's little bits that I came up with that came from the suggestions of other AAC users. Uh, Flipwriter was recommended to me. Mm-hmm. And that I found out existed through taking an OGCOM class. Like I found out about the Apple system voices existing in Chinese. Love it. So for people who want access to this paper, where can they find it? All right. So there are a couple options. One, I've posted my accepted manuscript on my academia.edu page. I sent the link to you, so I think you can put that up. Yep. The other option if for any reason you need the version of record which is basically the same text but it's the journal formatting Mm -hmm. if you want page numbers for example you absolutely can and should email me because i'm allowed to send it to people who ask um don't feel bad about doing this it's fine. This is what you do when you want to make sure people have access to research and are publishing in a journal that's not open access. Yeah, and I think that it's really important that uh, your message in particular is disseminated because, again, I think your experience is so valuable. Yeah, thank you. So wrapping up, what's next? Alyssa, I just love following your career, your ideas. I feel like you're going to do really big things in our field, and I'm really excited. So, like, you know, I feel like in six months you're probably going to have another paper out. <laughs> so I want to be ahead of the, the thread. <laughs> what's, what's next? Okay. So my actual next is my dissertation work. I do work on brain-computer interfaces for people with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis mm-hmm. and i am currently writing a paper about that my dissertation work is basically going to be about intra-individual and intra-session variability and how this affects the ability to use brain computer interfaces for communication mm-hmm. uh, in people with als So that's the real next. In terms of things that I have planned, I'm thinking a bit about the language that we use to speak about AAC in that professional preferences and the preferences of the people we're actually talking about may or may not align. And I would like to see something examining Who uses what language? Because I don't think that many professionals refer to oral speech as mouth sounds, snarkily. (laughs) A decent number of AAC users do. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) 
yes, let's get more research on this. I think that you're exactly right. I let's talk to more AAC users, adult AAC users, and um, I think that is a great next step just to highlight some trends potentially and again help us as clinicians um, not only work with our clients but also just educate right there's a whole element of education in this that SLPs specifically who are interested in AAC um, we all are trying to spread awareness about AAC and um, knowing knowing right from the from the source is the best strategy right yeah and like I think one of the big things is AAC users know things. Seriously, we know stuff. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, you know a lot of things, Alyssa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally a math teacher. <laughs> I tell that to my parents. Because I just, I also think there's, when you say adult AAC user, there's this idea that, you know, they're maybe using language that isn't as sophisticated as the language that you or I use. And so I think it's important. And I, so I, I follow up. I mean, they're a teacher. <laughs> I mean, one part of that is what we're, if we're using a symbol-based system, what words did you give us? If we're not using those more complicated words, because you didn't put them in our device. That ain't our fault. <laughs> Again, drop the mic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Alyssa, listen, I love having you come on. I just enjoy all the time that we spend together. And <laughs> Thank you. Not only, I had fun. Not only fun, but you're so smart. So I just love the conversations that we have. I never know which direction they're going to go. I really appreciate you coming on. Anytime you want to come on this podcast, you are more than welcome. And I really am excited about this paper. And I really want all of our listeners to go read it because fantastic. And you're fantastic. Thank you. What's your email for people who want to access to the full version? You can reach me at... Allie Hillary, A-L-Y-H-I-L-L-A-R-Y at gmail.com. Love it. So for Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Meadow, joined by Alyssa Hillary Zisk. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.